It is Reminiscere Sunday, the second Sunday in Lent. Reminiscere is a Latin word which means remember. It comes from the Latin, uh, or it comes from the introit for the day. Uh, remember, O Lord, your tender mercies, for they have been from of old. Uh, last week we, we heard Adam and Eve falling into sin in the Garden of Eden. And we heard God promise a Savior. And uh, then throughout the, the thousands of years uh, in the Old Testament, individuals and prophets and psalm writers uh, called upon God constantly to remember his promises, to remember what God had said. And that's not a sign of a weak faith. That's a sign of a faith that trusts what God has said. And that's the faith, uh, a persistent faith, that we see in the woman of Cana from our, uh, Canaan from our text, uh, our, our gospel lesson for today. Our sermon text is from the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 45, verses 20 through 25. Gather, come, draw near together, you survivors from the nations. They have no knowledge, those who are lifting up their idols of wood and praying to a God that cannot save. Make an announcement and come close. Let them consult together. Who made this known ahead of time? From time past, who announced it? Was it not I, the Lord? There is no God except me, a righteous God and Savior. There is no one except me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, because I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, from my mouth a righteous word has gone out and will not return unfulfilled. Indeed, to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. Only the Lord, they will say of me, only the Lord is their true righteousness and strength. To him they will come and be ashamed, all those who are angry at, at him. In the Lord, all the descendants of Israel will be justified. They will be praised by him. And we pray, these are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. There have been many times in the past few weeks and months that we've had to tell our son Corin no or stop him from doing something or make him do something against his will, as you heard even uh, today. He doesn't understand that licking the toilet plunger is not a good idea <laughs> or, and that we have to take it away. He doesn't understand that he can't play in the dishwasher doesn't understand why he needs to sit in a pew for an hour on Sunday morning while his dad is not only up there talking to a bunch of other people, but also talking to him. And doesn't understand why he doesn't get to nap on Sunday mornings because Sunday mornings is the time that we have chosen to, to spend time together studying God's Word. And so because he doesn't understand, he does what a sinful human being does. He uh, gets angry and will even push us away. If he could articulate it, he probably would say that we are not being very loving to him. From his perspective, we are being cold and harsh. And I remember when I was young, of course, not as young as our son is right now, but, but more than once, my parents grounding me or stopping me from doing something or, or making me do something that I just didn't want to do. Had you asked me back then, I probably would have said that I didn't feel like my parents were being very loving to me or that they loved me that much. And yet hidden inside their sternness, hidden inside their persistence, and hidden even inside their apparent coldness toward me, 
was actually a tremendous amount of love and parental concern and compassion. Sometimes love comes to us packaged in very strange ways. It, uh, sometimes love comes to us in strange ways. It looks like something that is the opposite of love. It's a love that is hidden from us. That's what our lessons from this morning teach us. Isaiah, in our Old Testament lesson, even says a few verses prior to our text, Truly you are a God who hide yourself, O God of Israel, the Savior. Our experience would often tell us that God doesn't love us. But we can't see the full picture like God can. We don't know why God sometimes deals with us in ways that seem harsh and cold. And we're not the first to think like this either. Isaiah is prophesying of his nation, Israel's future. The Holy Spirit allows Isaiah to see about a hundred years in the future when the entire nation of Israel would be taken into captivity by Babylon. And Isaiah sees that there are those who question God's love. And so he says, gather, come, draw near together, you survivors from the nations. They have no knowledge, those who are lifting up their idols of wood and praying to a God that cannot save. Make an announcement and come close. Let them consult together. Who has made this known ahead of time? From time past, who announced it? Was it not I, the Lord? There is no God except me, a righteous God and Savior. There is no one except me. God says of those who worship false gods, they, they lift up their idols of wood. It's as if they carry their gods on their shoulders. And they maybe literally even do. And that's attractive because it also means that their God sees exactly like they do and it shares their experience. But that also means if you carry your God on your shoulders, your God can see no more than you can see. Your God has the same limited experience that you do. God, the true God, wants us to trust him on the basis of his word and not our experience. So God is challenging those who don't trust in him, uh, who lift up their idols and carry them as it were on their shoulders, to look at what he has said and see if what he has said has come true. And we can look at any number of things. Noah's flood, for instance. God had told Noah 120 years before the flood that the flood would happen, and then it happened. And nearly everyone around Noah thought Noah was crazy. It's never flooded like that before. It's not going to happen. But then it happened, just as God said. So now when Isaiah is prophesying of the captivity in Babylon... Because Israel refuses to repent and let go of their sin, they don't think it's going to happen. But of course it happens, just as God said. God wants us to trust him on the basis of his word and not our experience. And so if God's word is true about God's judgments, is it not equally true for God's promises? And so now Isaiah looks even beyond God's judgments and he sees that there are those Israelites who, who are despairing in Babylon, wondering if God's promises of the Savior are null and void because that's what it looks like. 
But to prove that God's word is true, Isaiah now speaks of Israel's freedom from Babylon, even before it's taken into captivity in Babylon. And its freedom and salvation, Isaiah says, will happen in a way that seems hidden. Isaiah would be saved by King Cyrus of the Persian Empire. Cyrus is a king who has no faith in God. And Persia is a nation at this point in history that no one would even imagine uh, coming to power so quickly as to defeat the mighty Babylonians. Experience would say this would never happen. And yet, in 100 years, this is exactly what happens. And through this, many other people and many other nations would see the great things God had done for them and turn to him. They would say, only in the Lord. There is no God except him. He is a righteous God and Savior. Only in the Lord they will save him. Only in the Lord is their true righteousness and strength. In our gospel lesson this morning, a Canaanite woman comes to Jesus for healing for her daughter who is, who is demon-possessed. She knew what she had wanted. She knew what she saw based on her experience. But more importantly, she knew what God promised. She might not have been able to articulate it clearly, but in fact, all she could utter eventually was an exasperated, help me, Lord. But she knew that Jesus could help her, and she trusted that he would do what was best for her. The stubborn woman of Cana had seen in Jesus what God had said in our lesson from Isaiah. But Jesus, at first, doesn't even say a word. He ignores her. And then he calls her a dog. He says he wasn't meant for her. He insults her. At least that's what it would seem. But Jesus sees what she can't. Jesus is seeing beyond her problem now, and he wants to make her faith stronger. So Jesus pushes her. He does what is best for her, even though, according to her experience, it doesn't look like it. And this Canaanite woman, woman responds exactly how Jesus wanted her to. She stops Jesus in his word, and she holds him to it. She's okay with being called a little dog because even little dogs get the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She understands that Jesus has to deal with the, his disciples and the rest of the Israelites first because they are, uh, as it were, sitting at the table now. But what that means is that Jesus will give her what she needs. It means that he's not going to not help her, but he'll do it in his time. And she's okay with that because it means that Jesus will give her exactly what is enough of his mercy. And so she holds Jesus to his promise. She trusted the God of words in spite her experience. Experience told her that God didn't love her. Experience told her that God wasn't listening. Experience told her to just give up and go home. Give up her request. Give up her faith in God. This God's probably not real anyway. But this woman has great faith. She didn't trust her experience. She trusted what God said, and she held him to it. She persisted in her requests of God, bowing before him over and over, trusting that his will was best, that even a little from God was enough. 
You know, it's popular in our day to be spiritual and not religious. But this woman was spiritual and religious. Because to be only spiritual is to have a God of, of experience, one who sees things like I do. The God of experience, though, is one that we create, something that we can understand. But if my God is something that I can understand, then my God isn't the true God. I, I could, as Isaiah would say earlier, carry my God on my shoulders. Instead, we need a God who speaks and does things that I might not always understand. I need a God who carries me on his shoulders. I need a God who shows love to me, even though it may seem hidden. Now, some people will still be angry at what God does. We may even be angry and frustrated at how God works. But again, we aren't the first to feel like this. You can read through the Psalms and see them dripping with frustration and anger and despair. But Isaiah says, To him they will come and be ashamed, all those who are angry at him. One day when Corin finds out that he got angry at us for taking away the toilet plunger, he will probably feel a little ashamed. God will not only and does not only keep us from harm, but sometimes God will take away things that are even good for us. And we may never know the reason. We may never know on this side of heaven why God allows something to happen or allows crosses to come upon us or why he takes something away. We may be frustrated and angry, but eventually, in God's time, even if that time is heaven, we will be put to shame. Although we can't know why suffering always occurs, God does reveal to us what he's done about it. And he tells us that Jesus was put to shame for us. God the Father gave Jesus literally the toughest cross to bear, the sins and guilt and shame of the entire world, all people of all time. And yet Jesus didn't go against his Father's will. Jesus knew all things, and yet according to his human nature, Jesus was as weak as we are. According to his human nature, even Jesus wanted a way out from all his suffering. He prayed for God to take this cup of suffering away from me. But when the Father made it clear that there was no other way, Jesus humbly submitted to his Father's will, knowing that the will of God is always best. Because Jesus persisted, because we could not and have not. As our closing hymn paraphrases Jesus, Yea, Father, yea, most willingly, I'll bear what thou commandest. My will conforms to thy decree. <clears throat> I do what thou demandest. By Jesus, the Lamb of God, who submitted even to the Father's will in the face of the most difficult cross imaginable, and persisted. In him, Isaiah says, all the descendants of Israel will be justified. They will be praised by him. God will praise us. God will praise us. Not for the strength of our faith, not for our persistence, not for us never getting angry or frustrated at God's will because we have and we will. But God will praise us because of Jesus and for Jesus' sake. 
Jesus took us upon his shoulders on the cross, and he will continue to carry us until he brings us to heaven, where he will finally make us see what he sees. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.